Network. Connected. MIDI session. Running. MIDI show control. Confirmed. DMX interface. Connected. Light control. Confirmed. Ethernet. Active. Audio interface. Active and engaged. Arduino unit. In range. Bluetooth remote pair. Connected. OSC IP. Active. We're ready. Start the queue. Featuring Andy Dolph, Joshua Langman, Dave Mickey, Alex Sparks, and Mark Neiser. All right, episode four coming your way right now. The queue is live. So today we're going to cover as a group discussion uh, how to take over a light board using MIDI show control. Um, this is one of my main projects when I get to a venue that has way too many moving lights. Uh, if I can't do a DMX takeover or they have a bunch of moving lights uh, on a separate universe than the DMX, and I always want to use moving lights. I'd rather use only moving lights because they're, they're gorgeous. Um, and how do you do that in a quick, easy way that doesn't anger everybody and seem more complicated than it's really worth? Um, what kind of experience do you guys have? Dave, have, do you use uh, MIDI show control on, uh, on lighting boards? I do. So what I, my experience is with ETC series. I've used the Express and Ion and the Geo. And what I usually do is send MIDI commands from QLab to control lighting, and we've controlled where we actually control the channels by MIDI, sending MIDI notes and MIDI show control to adjust levels and and turn things on and off. And I've also gone the other way where the ETC ION RGO was sending MIDI commands back to QLab and then triggering. So on the ION, whenever you hit go and you have MIDI show control on, it sends out a MIDI show control go message for that Q number you just hit go on. And so QLab can pick that up and then trigger whatever you, you, you've you chosen for it to trigger from yeah. that? So if you name your Q in QLab the same Q number as the light board, it would trigger that same Q. So it could only wow. trigger the same number. But then QLab could send anything over, including MIDI messages, and control pretty much the entire board. And I always just grab the manual and see what they set up and start taking over. In QLab, we have the sound files, video files, and then sending MIDI files over to the light board to either turn on a cue, a scene, a submaster, or just a channel, depending what we need it to do. So where I've done a haunted house, we only wanted certain lights turned on, so we just sent MIDI commands over to turn on one or two lights, or we sent over a command to turn a whole scene on or off. Mm-hmm. And is this a hardwired setup you're doing through um, Ethernet, or are you going standard MIDI, MIDI out into a MIDI port, and then usually we have multiple computers running, so then we're using IP MIDI from all the other locations going to another computer, which is receiving the MIDI messages or the OSC messages from the other computers, and then sending a MIDI message out to the light board. But then on the ION, we discovered, and two days later, after we called tech support, they returned our phone call. Um, There's actually two different places you can set MIDI. One in the main lighting software, and you go in settings, turn on all your MIDI. But then there's a hidden one, so you actually have to quit the lightboard software, go into the hardware side, and turn on your MIDI and your MIDI show control there as well. Yep, and every single one's different. So yep. I travel with the Hog and Avalite and ELS, Grand MA, Expression, um, ETC, all separate manuals on my iPad so with those little parts highlighted so I can go in, 
um, remain calm. Uh, I, you know, for me, I'm running it from stage. Mm-hmm. So I'm using, um, initially I was trying to use XLR patch through the soundboard and I have these um, MIDI to XLR adapters that I made. But if you're going through a patch bay and switching to those little tie line yeah. cables, all hell breaks loose. Because if one of them's flipped funny, mm-hmm. it or just, wired wrong, it just or? creates, oh, right. It's a, it's, a, it's a disaster. So I had literally an entire bag of adapters to try to make that work. And every time we did it, it got more and more frustrating. And I finally gave up and switched to, it's going to sound complicated and unreliable, but in fact, it's the exact opposite. Using audio MIDI setup on your Mac, you can create a network session, which broadcasts core MIDI to your wireless devices. Yep. Um, so I just set up my own network, put a MIDI uh, adapter using a um, the photo adapter for an iPad or iPhone. They also have a iConnect unit. Do you have good luck with that? Because I've been burned several times where it just randomly disconnects. So you would think that, and I was so afraid of it, but I got some stuck a few times and never had. I've never had a problem. That's fantastic. Uh, you don't even have to open audio MIDI setup once you have it going and working. Mm-hmm. It auto connects through MIDI Bridge. That's that's the interface uh-huh. that I use. So I just use MIDI Bridge. I never even have to open the iPad if I have MIDI Bridge running. Uh, and it sees the network, it auto-connects and starts sending MIDI show control. Uh, I'll do two shows, so figure I'm in the theater from the time I set up seven or eight hours. I'll come back and open up the iPad when I'm done, and I'm still at 85% power. Nice. That's smart. Um, And uh, just clean, no cabling problems, nothing I have to bother a tech director about that gets worried with me you know, plugging into this, unplugging this audio board and plugging in somewhere else (laughs) and... uh, um, I even actually j- am using an old iPhone 4S now, uh, hmm. just as a MIDI interface for that for that purpose. So that's made it a lot less terrifying. But you still have to go into the settings, and particularly on the Grand MA board, um, instead of using a cue list, which is what ETC and Hogs require, Grand MA it's all about a um, executor instead of uh, a cue list. So if you don't know that. There's no documentation of that at all, and it right. will not work. Nice. Um, so the grandma under- executes. Oh, grandma is what it's called. I was <laughs> grand like, MA. Well, so. grand MA, but the joke is grandma. Okay, so I am saying it yeah. correctly. See, no one taught me any of this stuff. I didn't even know what... Is expression the same as ETC, or is that, is that an ETC expression? ETC makes it. So, Alec, what have you do- what are you doing with... Uh, didn't you build software to interface with lighting boards to avoid having to do... Uh, to avoid MIDI, yeah. Uh, I had a show coming up that I wanted to use some show control for, but I didn't have any MIDI hardware handy because at my school we don't do this kind of thing very often. So I ended up writing a, a sort of QLab plugin with AppleScript that uses uh, ETC's uh, UDP string feature. So it basically just takes... Um, it's the same kind of format as a, a MIDI message, but over network protocols, so Wi-Fi and Ethernet cables and whatever. And you, it's pretty reliable? Uh, on, on the QLab end, yes. I've had uh, ions randomly just stop listening to it and have to be restarted before they start listening again. Uh, how is it coming into the ion? Um, over, if you've got a wireless router hooked up to the ion, over wireless, or it can just be hmm. an Ethernet cable coming out of the ion and into the laptop. 
because I am still hardwiring into the back into a MIDI import on the back of these boards. Yeah, yeah. Right, but but the tricky part is the camera adapter is what lets you take MIDI back out of an iPad or an iPhone. I actually had no idea that you can do normal USB things with the camera adapter. I thought it was limited in firmware or scope or something to cameras. So that's interesting. You can plug in a low voltage keyboard too, too. But iRig hmm. MIDI hmm. makes a MIDI adapter and it goes to MIDI um, actual MIDI cables and plugs into the iPhone. So so it's and it like works a- fairly well. Is it like a MIDI connector on one end and lightning on the other? Or is there something in the middle? Yep. There's huh. a little yep. box, a little converter box. Uh, the one I have goes to the 30-pin, and I'm pretty sure they updated it to the lightning. But then it just goes out to two standard MIDI cables. That is pretty cool. A company called I, I Connect MIDI. Uh, the one I use is a 30-pin, and it's a little unit called just iConnect, and it... Uh, doesn't need any adapters and it just goes 30 pin right to MIDI in and MIDI out and then you can access that uh, through MIDI bridge it just show it, it just appears no software um, no drivers nothing um, so it's pretty awesome that you can just plug it the only thing it doesn't have is any kind of visual feedback so you can't really see if it's it's coming in and out or that uh-huh. there's another version which I have right here I have to open my, my little giant bag of adapters um, this one's my favorite, E-MU MIDI 1X1 tab. It's literally like a USB jump drive, but it has lights in it, so it shows you what's coming out of the thing. And that's what you do need the camera adapter for that unit. Um, but it is nice because you can see it, that MIDI is leaving the iPad, and you can tell what's going on. I think I bought some of those for like $7 on Amazon. They're like pretty cheap. M-Audio or M-Midi, or yeah, M-Audio makes some for like $60. But I found some really cheap ones on Amazon for $7 and some of them send MIDI show control and some of them do not. I have had one fail on me. Um, so I always travel with a whole whole pile of them. Yeah, I bought a whole bunch of them and two of them would not communicate from QLab to the Ion. So we just ditched them. Did it not show up in the, in the selection? It wouldn't send options? MIDI show control. It would send MIDI but not show control. Hmm. So something was funny. Well, I use a lot of MIDI monitor stuff to kind of tell what's going on. But for the most part, I'm, I'm, I've switched over to the iConnect, even though it's a little bigger and bulkier and no feedback, but there's no other adapters involved. Right. And, uh, it just, MIDI bridge is, is the secret to this entire thing. Auto connect, you can kind of recon- reconfigure wiring and, and all that stuff. And it just, it just makes it so simple that nobody has to think about it. And I, I've talked, I'm, I've used this in 3,000 3, seat venues where it's got to go a huge throw to get up to the booth mm-hmm. through glass, um, but no problems. Knock on wood. Are you talking about the MIDI bridge from Touch OSC? Audionic is the company that makes it. It is on the App Store. And it's eight ninety nine. I would pay eighty nine ninety nine <laughs> for it. <laughs> Because it's pretty simple, doesn't make, doesn't overthink it, and uh, once it's set up, you never have to think about it again. That's great. Uh, one way I test that I have connection is I have a cue <coughs> on my keyboard, so I have an intro, a, a pre-show look. Say it's a purple and pink gobo-laden, intelligent light look. So when I hit the A button on my keyboard, it it fires that same cue with just a very subtle change to it. So maybe it's like a lighter pink. And so I can see that cue just adjust a teeny bit before I walk on stage, knowing that I still have full MIDI show control happening. Smart. 
Our guest today is Axel Mulder. He holds a PhD in kinesiology and is the president of Infusion Systems, a company that creates all kinds of amazing sensors and data collectors for performers and other applications. Welcome to the queue. So, Axel, you are the brains behind IQBEX and Infusion Systems goodies. Is that true? Overall, yes, of course. I always want to give credit to the people I've, uh, who have, I've uh, worked with over the years, um, 20 years this year, actually. So it's a long list by now. I'm like you, the glue between all these people and then bringing it out on the face. But there's more people behind me. Congratulations on the 20 years. Thanks. How did you get started with this? What's, what led you into this uh, rabbit hole? In 95, I was uh, doing my PhD. I had the plan to make a glove with sensors on it. And I had already done that as a hobby in the, in the Netherlands when I was still there, before I went to Vancouver to do my PhD there. Trying to do this, this glove making, um, I thought, well, it's better to actually give it to somebody else who can do it for me. And I had run into a Russian who had escaped from an actual uh, boat, a Russian boat, at the time when the Soviet Union was, uh, I guess, sort of still operating. He was very keen to get something uh, going. And uh, I said to him, well, why don't you try to make this glove for me? And I offered him some money for that. So he started to work on that, and then he was very keen to make a business. And uh, I said to him, well, yeah, this is the way it works here in, in, in the West. You know, you start making a business, and I had thought about it myself, too. But he was so keen that he insisted, uh, you know, that I uh, make a plan and something. And then um, uh, I said, well, why don't you write up what you, what you think you want to do? Because I, think, I think I can uh, get some money through my supervisor at the university. Got uh, some uh, grant money, $10,000. And uh, hired him and, and a bunch of other people to uh, to make a start with this idea of a um, yeah sort of universal sensor interface for the arts, and that that was actually the start of it. From like after half a year, we had this prototype, which is now still known, and we still sell it as the uh, the iCube system, right? At the time, it was iCube system. Now it's iCube X system. Then after half a year, we had this prototype, and then I thought, well, hmm, this is. Maybe it's too good to drop it, so I put uh, another, whatever, $50,000 of my own money in it. Wow. I had really the time to make it actually commercial, or the money to hire people to make it commercial. Because before that, you know, prototypes just can't sell it. So, mm-hmm. so yeah, then the first sale happened in uh, 10 December version. You, know. you have two basic systems. You have the USB version and then the wireless system. Are you taking, like, generic Bluetooth boards and putting them inside these things and then sealing them up into, into a little interface? How are you making these uh, little custom units that you make? Um, yeah, for the wireless, it's indeed uh, there is a uh, Bluetooth board that we buy from a, a larger manufacturer, and um, and then we make our own little PCB on which that thing is tacked on, and it's you know it's not it's not much different from an Arduino. Of course, we were were we using the same chips at the time? I don't know if we were first or they were first. But um, it's it's an Atmel chip in there that uh, talks to the Bluetooth board and then makes makes all makes all this happen. Yeah. Then you have literally hundreds of sensors that give you a million options, more than I can actually even get my head around. I have bags of these things sitting on my desk right now, trying to you know laser sensors, light sensors, bend sensors, 3D sensors, so much yeah. stuff. Um, what are some interesting ways that people have used your stuff? In the beginning years, I really knew what was going on. But in the later years, I just so much stuff happening everywhere because 
of course, during when Arduino came online, it also became this whole field with people trying out stuff exploded much more than I could follow. Um, but if I would give an example of the early years, one that I always kept uh, remembering, also because I know the guys who, who did it, uh, is a very strange experiment. It's just completely out there. They built uh, a huge, um, let's say, how do you call it, a net, but from very solid ropes. And then this other guy, we didn't build that sensor, some other guy from Holland actually too, uh, he built a tension sensor. So these, these sensors were then placed around the perimeter of that big net. And then they would do a show by climbing in the net and sort of pulling at the net. It's, I don't know what, and then the sounds they were making was completely ridiculous. Like I'm, you know, I'm not too much into all the very uh, sort of sound experiments, like as for listening and as appreciating it. I mean, it can be innovative, but uh, I don't have the same uh, aesthetic experience then as with, you know, more jazz or something like mm -hmm. more well-known styles of music. But they were making weird sound, weird movement, and a weird sensor. And so it was really out there. You know, I always wrestle with this balance between using the sensor the way it was intended to truly generate real music and real audio in real time. And then then the faking it part where you're taking the bang information or whatever that information is and instead of it having playing whatever you know that is just using it as a trigger to to play what i want it to play and i often end up with these grand ideas that i'm going to be you know making music live with these sensors and i really end up using the sensors as triggers to trigger stuff that is what I really want. So a single MIDI note that is in sequence and stuff like that. Because like you said, these guys climbing on the ropes, playing this crazy music, well, not even music, right? Just these crazy sounds. It's interesting for a few minutes, but then it just kind of becomes almost, uh, I don't know if the word annoying is appropriate. But. Their uh, intention is, I think, exploration. It's not to package something and uh, take the viewpoint as a listener, like what effect does it have on the listener? They just want to put some random things together. I mean, random, like, I don't know, maybe there is a concept behind it. I never uh, figured it out from them. It's an experiment. So there is no guarantee that it sounds pleasing or is according to some style or anything like that. It's complete experimental. Right. I mean, hold, I, I have a whole suit made out of your equipment with bang sensors and designed cool. to play real real information that's coming from them uh, through GarageBand or whatever. And no matter how much I practice it, it just always just ended up being, you know, interesting for an experiment to have some friends over. But on stage, just kind of annoying and, yeah. and too random to actually be, be useful until I switch them to be triggers and then just the whole, then blow, blow people's minds. You know, yeah. so I'm banging this metal pipe that I'm juggling and it's playing a song, I mean, perfectly every time. And it, yeah. it just changes the whole thing. Well, the one thing I do like about your stuff is it is a very small compressed unit that I, you know, it's all one little thing. I don't have all these parts flopping around. I have some, I use some Arduino stuff as well and it ends up being a lot more cumbersome. Um, you've really compressed it down into a teeny space 
and a pretty consistent, easy way to interface it with it. Dave, you had a question about uh, how to interface that and bring that information into QLab. I was speaking to my CalArts class. It's an integrated media class, and we're looking at all the sensors, getting very excited, looking at the wireless, and we had a question, hmm, what kind of information does it send to QLab or to Max MSP? The communication from the wireless device from the wire microdict to the computer is actually MIDI. It could be MIDI um, a voice channel, channel voice commands, right? Like regular MIDI, three byte uh, MIDI messages. If okay. you put it in standalone mode. Um, but mostly people work, especially if you work with Macs, then you work in the so-called host mode and then it's system exclusive uh, MIDI messages that are sent which is basically a string of bytes, you know, and we made our right. own protocol for, for, for this to f- make it fit in the system exclusive. Um, so it's, it's essentially MIDI, but MIDI over serial, over, over Bluetooth. It's kind of a, you know, a long sentence. Actually, I was looking at all the sensors, and I was amazed how many sensors. How many sensors on there did you guys develop? A lot of my work actually consists of uh, following trends and finding out where new sensor technology happens. Because I'm a physicist from origin, so if there's something happening in a in a in a physical subfield somewhere or chemistry, then uh, then I read about that and think, oh hey, that's that's interesting. I wonder what's going to happen in terms of making a sensor out of that. You know, uh, material science. I follow that, and it usually takes a long time, but you know, commercialization can take maybe a couple of years for some development to actually become a commercial sensor. Right. And um, when that sensor is out there, then we take the part and maybe build a board around it with some electronics. And sometimes uh, there's companies out there who take that technology and actually build a little board. And uh, right away, you can just buy the board and uh, attach maybe only the cable. In some cases, mm-hmm. that's, we can do that like that. Can we take a cable from one unit and then put it into an, another, a separate system that's made by another, another manufacturer? Use your sensors on their stuff? Oh, yeah. It's very likely you can because the output is, uh, in many cases, like I would say, there's only three or four sensors that are digital outputs. Those are a bit more difficult to interface. But uh, all the analog ones are zero to five volts. Um, take about, at most, 30 milliamps, usually less. Hmm. And um, so you can plug them into many other um, interfaces. So would you say you're more of a sensor company, or is the IQBX, you know, the Y-MicroDig and the uh, USB dig, is that more what you're selling, or are you more selling the sensors, maybe? Well, we're definitely more interested in selling sensors, but Hmm. the thing is that if you just sell the sensor, um, like... You, there's a whole chain of events, right? You have the sensor, you have the interface into the computer, you have the, um, like the, the, sorry, you have the sensor, you have the translation to digital, then you have the transmission to the computer, then you have the software that makes it available to another piece of software. Mm-hmm. And in our case also, we make software that translates uh, the digital sensor coming from uh, the digitizer into an event like a uh, video playing or something like we made this software called uh, sense play uh, just recently and uh, with that software you you just see the sensor data in the same software and you can also drag an image or a video or a sound into the software huh. 
and, and make connection between these two things. So you don't have to go to another software through MIDI or through OSC or some other thing, which just involves a bunch of numbers that's hard to remember or to store sometimes. Um, so I think, yeah, we want to focus on sensors, like what to sense. Mm-hmm. But we realize, especially lately, that it's hard to just sell only the sensor. That's you know, a lot of people are doing that now, also. So we're 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 thinking now more of like, okay, what can you do with this sensor, and can we make a piece of software that goes with it, together with all the interfacing, so that it's more of a how to use this sensor application. Huh. I have never, you know, I just uh, I haven't used SensePlay yet. I, I have everything else you got here. I've played with it for so long; it's almost pitiful. Um, so I definitely have to open SensePlay and, and have a look at that. Um, you're making your software in Max MSP is like the editor and the um, the uh, link software. Is that true? Um, no, actually, the software story has been um, developing on us a lot in the last, say, five to ten years. Because uh, initially we started out being made basically a hardware company, right? And we, yeah, okay, we made some software, and because it had to be, you know, we had to configure this hardware. But now we're thinking much more in like, okay, what can we actually do in software to make these sensors or to to, to target to to help people doing certain things, you know, right. with with sensors. And um, so the, the the editor, for instance, was built with uh, C and C and Java. Um, the link was built with Max. Right. A lot of sensor applications are built with Max. SensePlay is built in Max. Hmm. Um, but like Prince little interface software like that Connect uh, yep. that you like, I understood. Uh, and uh, the um, Blue MIDI, for instance, those are built in C. Hmm. Um, and then recently we made uh, an API for people who want to program a little bit more themselves with uh, open frameworks. And it's a very interesting development, I think, because you can do a ton of that, a ton of things with open frameworks. Is it difficult to cover the cross-platform part of what you do where you're supporting you know, all these Mac operating systems, PC stuff, all these people complaining to you constantly and you know, trying to figure it all out? Uh, definitely, um, if I hadn't uh, good people to work with, then uh, it would have been, uh, I mean, I couldn't do it by myself. It's just too too massive these days because a lot of people, in, especially in music, I find they, um, they have a bit of a tendency to hold back on updating because, you know, with music, you need all these little bits of gear and software and it all has to work together. It's very difficult for them to uh, just say, like, oh, I'm going to update to the latest. Because guaranteed a bunch of stuff won't work anymore. Or they have to pay lots of money to get it updated. And, you know, musicians are not the most wealthy uh, in this world, most of them. And um, so for us to, up to, to m- keep things working with, let's say, two years back of operating systems for macOS only is already... Very hard. Snow Leopard, we can't support it in most, case, most cases. Mm-hmm. For the Bluetooth part, huh? for USB microdick, it's a lot easier. Um, and for Windows, it's a little easier because Windows is not so radical in uh, making changes in their operating systems. Mac for Apple is, is very radical. They just say from one operating system to the next, like, oh, we don't support all that anymore, nothing. Right. And uh, then you have to just adapt as a developer, right? Mm. You guys have been really good about listening to you know me freaking out, and suddenly there's an update, and 
and I found the tech support to be really good, you know, so that that's a good thing, you know, even though, you know, I can't imagine the people that don't know what they're talking about calling you guys. And Yeah, but it's, it's true that our stuff is, um, requires some knowledge and, um, yeah, it's not consumer, like consumer, consumer, you need to uh, get yourself involved in what is MIDI, um, what is USB, um, Things like real time, you have to understand that there's always going to be a latency, whatever you do, and it's just a matter of getting latency low enough for your particular application, right? Right. Yeah, because that is the big issue. So if I make my own Max MSP stuff, which Dave, you're a huge fan of, will I yep. reduce that latency if I know what I'm doing and, and just bring the stuff directly in and I don't have to deal with the editor or the the blue MIDI or connect or um, link and all that stuff? Is that true? If you transport a lot of data, like if a lot of sensors actually, um, then it's, pr yeah, I think it's, I have to do the calculation again. I think it's more advantageous to use the, the SysX protocol because it's a bit more tight packing. Uh, but if you just use one sensor on a, on a digitizer, it's better to use just the MIDI message because they're, they're only three bytes long. One SysX package is at least, um, I think, six bytes long so if you only had one sensor right it takes six bytes which is more midi message more more midi time so if it's it depends how critical it is again you know and these these calculations yeah we have to do them for if somebody asks we have to just redo the calculation for that particular person well, if you go back and listen to the podcast, you're going to hear we're obsessed with system-exclusive messages. <laughs> the fact that it sh shoots out SysX is, is awesome. There's one thing I should mention about Max. Um, like, we love that software, too, um, it, up to a certain point, because you can make things very quickly with it. But if you want to make a complex thing like SensePlay, that software, you actually run into trouble keeping it, maintaining that software for us as, as a, if we make a, a big patch and we want to keep it working for everybody. Uh, that's one uh, drawback. And the other drawback is that standalones with Macs, which, you know, which we need to make an application that we would then maintain for people to use, um, is actually become, they become huge now. Like they were about 100 megabytes which is you know doable these days with the regular bandwidth that people have, but now the standalones are I think three hundred megabytes. Wow. wow! So that's a bit big. So we are thinking maybe we're not going to use Max that much anymore for standalones. I mean, people if they buy Max, they can still use you know our stuff, and it's going to be great, very efficient. You can do a lot of stuff with it. But uh, for us to make standalones with Max, um, I think we might have to change uh, into another platform, and we're working on that. Based, it actually, it looks like it's going to be a derivative from that uh, Open Frameworks as a platform. Mm -hmm. This is all like speculative. Mm -hmm. I don't. I'm just the latest here that I'm giving you. So when I run Link, am I running Max MSP or is it a standalone yeah. version? It's a standalone of. It's a Max MSP patch uh, compiled as a standalone. Okay. Can I open Link in Max MSP and tweak it myself? You could. Um, I think the source code is on the web. It might be missing. I'm not sure. I'm not too. Sometimes it's it's a, it's a little messy that stuff. But mm -hmm. you can definitely ask us for it, and um, we'll get you the the, the standalone. Or the, the source code for the Max patch, yeah. So what's the future? What am I... I mean, I built a laser piano with your stuff. Um, it was so heavy and 
unwieldy, you know, to dial in, you know, nine lasers into the laser sensor. Uh, you know, it was it was amazing. It looked cool. It was beautiful. But for me to move it physically to another venue and fly with it on an aircraft, it was so heavy and unwieldy. But so what's the future? What, what, what? The, the one thing that me personally, I'm very interested in, and I, I kind of was trying to um, insert it in a conversation we had just uh, earlier on, um, uh, that I'm interested in is like the ability to extract interesting information from sensors, right? Because you were saying that, you know, if you just have a sensor data, the raw, the raw data, that you ended up using it just as a trigger. Um, and I think, you know, that analog information is very interesting. It's, it's very rich. There's a lot of information in, in, in it. And I would like to make a better editor that you can really study the signal that people uh, generate with their movements and then extract all kinds of information in, from it, of course, in a reliable way. And uh, that's, that kind of signal processing, I would like to focus on it, but I'm not sure that the market is there. So it's, it's, uh, it's a bit tricky. The market right now is heavily dominated by, uh, by people who are, I would say, um, uh, novices in, in sensor use, right? right. They, they buy a sensor and they want to just turn on the light. Right. And that's where the market is. And so what you get is all these little cheap boards of like, five bucks right and mm -hmm. they, they don't work very well but they are enough for, for beginners um, yeah, it's all part of the maker movement and make magazine and yeah yeah exactly you know. and so that that has driven the, the prices down of everything and uh, so it's a bit hard for me to still offer kind of a similar sensor like but we, we pretend to offer more with all the software but people don't necessarily see that Mm -hmm. So then they then we kind of kind of get pushed out of the market. So we're trying to actually make that uh, focus more on uh, integrated solutions where there's a sensor, there's a digitizer, there's a connection with the computer with some software, and then you do something with that. That is, I think, where I'm going to try to focus on making more full-blown applications because it's a bit too hard to just be selling sensors by itself. Yeah. Well, for somebody in my position that sounds really exciting, you know, because I am the guy that uses, wants to use all your sensors and integrate that, but to find a way to make it be real and not, you know, fake it the way I'm kind of doing it, you know, currently. Yeah. So like your, your laser idea, I mean, there's a, that, that, that particular application has, is quite popular. So we're thinking, well, maybe we should make a kit, you know, mm -hmm. that, that is, uh, includes all the components, a little bit of a tutorial and, that people can easily make a laser harp, let's say. That's right, and in a way that I can move it around easily. Well, that would be, you know, uh, that's that would be very clever, yes. Just yeah, have it the accordion out and lock into place, and I flop it on stage, fire up a fog machine, and crush it, you know? Yeah. Um, the other thing that I wanted to mention is that, um, that SensePlay uh, software, we actually um, applied it as a... Uh, a software to to drive advertising so that's a, a different route where um, our stuff is used for shops let's say uh, to to display their services on their front window with a projector and then a couple of sensors that detect somebody who's standing near the window and they can wave through uh, slides or videos cool. to see what this company this, this shop has to offer and we made a, a website about that, sense-play.com. 
and um, that that's that's about another avenue I'm trying to pursue. And I have to say, I watched the SensePlay video. It looks really interesting, especially with the users walking up to the glass and just flick their hand through the display. Yeah, it's it's. I think it's a great application. If if you um, know people interested, it's completely. I'm still exploring okay, how to sell so. this. Well, I have it open, and it looks like was it all developed in Max MSP? Yeah, that's also yeah. A, Mac, a big Max patch. Yeah. Okay, and I noticed something that I've never learned how to do: add new source. That's pretty impressive. Add new output. Yeah, that's isn't that easy? Like this way. That is. Beautiful. It's a new concept of working with media and sensors all in one, right? The interesting detail is that we use this for the first iteration of that installation at this shop in the video. Then um, down the line, we got into this OFX uh, add-on development, and then we uh, we thought, hey, we can run all this on a Raspberry Pi. Oh. So <laughs> we're, slowly, we're slowly moving away from our own hardware, but. <laughs> It's 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 just the Raspberry Pi is so powerful. So we thought, well, maybe we're going to make a little add-on board for the Raspberry Pi, so that it can plug in sensors, and then you have a really powerful system to do stuff with sensors. So that would be amazing. I would buy one. Yes. Yeah, me too. we're I'm in. we're we're almost the the board is in in proto right now. So uh, keep keep checking the website. We'll uh, we'll post it there. Sounds good. I just yeah. made it my homepage. There's one thing I want to say. Sensor field is, has been exploding since I got into it in the late 80s. And it just doesn't seem to stop. Like, it's just so humongous. Like, I, I, everywhere there are sensors. The whole world is becoming inundated with sensors. Like, mm -hmm. it's crazy. What, a, what about an iPhone interface where I can plug in your sensor right to an iPhone through the little uh, lightning jack? We did get to work now with through the OFX that you can actually, uh, OFX uh, Open Frameworks, right? That you can uh, interface our stuff through a MIDI interface to an iPhone. Phone, I think so. Yeah, mm -hmm. Android, iPhone, iPad, that that is all supported by that, and some you can do directly through uh, Bluetooth. I have to check, but this is all on the OFX page. We're a little limited by the methods that they require you to use to interface. Uh, I actually have a curiosity about MIDI and how you've pitched it to other industries besides us crazy entertainment people. Chemistry or other fields, how do you, how do they adopt MIDI? How do they feel about it? Yeah, well, it, that's uh, because indeed our customer base is, is extremely varied, and to my annoyance, because it's almost impossible to make a choice, right? I have to say, like, well, how do you market a product if you have to please uh, everybody and everywhere? It's not possible. So I'm trying to focus, but uh, indeed there are people in engineering or uh, in I don't know chemistry indeed that want to use our stuff and they're a little um, bedazzled so to speak when they um, when they see it has to it's going it's using MIDI uh, we for a time we worked uh, quite a bit with um, a company in my birth town of all places by coincidence and he knew my father very interesting a company called Noldus uh, and they um, they make software for uh, recording uh, people's behavior behavioral study also for animals mm -hmm. and um, and you know yeah I don't know how I ran into them at a conference I think and uh, he, this guy was president was really interested in the fact that I had all these sensors 
to detect people's uh, behavior. And he said, well, can we connect it with our software? And I'm like, okay, let's do that. And they were completely, um, they couldn't handle the fact that it was MIDI. They thought, ah, this doesn't work because it's, it has to do with the arts. And when it has to do with the arts, it doesn't work. <laughs> it's true. It's a big prejudice. They, they, I, I tried to get over that for like four years with them. And um, I guess they didn't believe it. They, the engineers in that company could just couldn't buy it that it worked through MIDI. So it's it's a it's a bit of a limitation. The fact that the word MIDI and that's associated then with music, arts, and then other people say like, oh, it can't work. Then it's not reliable. Well, that's because you use witches to interface with MIDI, right? <laughs> <laughs> right. I mean, don't, it's witchcraft, I believe. Just you mean widgets or witch, witches? <laughs> When we started, it was uh, to, to use MIDI in this way was um, yeah it was was a bit weird yeah people it was an innovation I guess yeah um, because show control was sort of uh, nascent at the time and that evolved in its own kind of protocol but uh, regular MIDI to transport sensor data to measure heartbeat, uh, even for semi-clinical or medical research purposes, that, that's, that was completely crazy, of course. You got a lot of amazing stuff and uh, never-ending possibilities. I, I have literally a pile of it to my left. When I have a few minutes to breathe, I keep pulling it out and start plugging in and interfacing. And I'm, I'm trying to do some stuff with Connect360 cameras with your, your stuff to do some depth mapping but oh not never enough time never enough yeah time. that's that's certainly true there is so many possibilities like i have the toughest time like just uh, a month ago i decided okay all these projects on this table they're just going in a box and i'm not looking at them until whenever but i have to focus on this one thing now and that's it it's just too many stuff all the time it's crazy what, it's, what's it going to cost for you to send me that box <laughs> I'm literally I'll give you a thousand dollars right now just I can wire it with one click can you trigger that click with MIDI <laughs> <laughs> well Axel thank you so much fascinating thanks a lot a pleasure thank you for everything thanks thank you very much Axel nice to meet you guys QLab, Pro Tools, Stage Caller, Mad Final Cut, Millimentech, Lift Garage Band, Logic, Duck Twisted Remote, My MIDI Remote, Go Batuino, It's time for the Q Review. Today for products, we're going to cover the amazing iPad and all its powers. And what do you use your iPad for, Dave? I use it as a paperweight. No, <laughs> um, I use it as a remote for QLab, a remote for the M7CL. I use it a lot for remote. For me, it's a giant remote. Um, and back in the day, I was looking for a strong, clean MIDI show control from my iPad to QLab without any kind of software in between and I couldn't really find one so I built one and I called it my MIDI remotes so I used that on there and it shows time code from back before QLab even showed time code within itself uh, I can't go stop send MIDI commands so I actually have several of these iOS apps for MIDI show control and I think I still might be the only MIDI show control out there so you are the guy behind my MIDI remotes. I am. I made it. Oh, I had no idea. I have the website right here. And now you, so I see that you are the programmer. I am. So I wrote it. And then also on mymidiremotes.com, there's um, Arduino MIDI boxes, wiring diagrams for MIDI to USB, MIDI to XLR. So can I get these remotes still? They are 
all on iTunes right now. And I actually did a couple bundle deals where it's really cheap and easy. I have them where they run MIDI and then also running through UDP. So they'll interface with IP MIDI. So you don't even need to set up the wireless MIDI. Cool. And is there a hardware component as well? Or is that build your own Arduino kind of deal? Right now it's build your own. I'm working on building an Arduino shield in my free time, which so far I've had none. My goal is to make it into some sort of product where it's an open source, open hardware MIDI show controller. I love these yellow and red and green buttons you have. Where'd you get those? Arcade buttons, arcade store. Arcade? Yep. They're just standard five, eight dollar arcade buttons. Like a video game. Yep. Like, like the ones you'd mash on a console or something? Exactly. One that if you go to the arcade and you play like Street Fighter or Street Street Fighter. I can't. <laughs> yeah. Street Fighter, I'm going back to the nineties. Last time I played a arcade game. Um <laughs> is that how you did Pong? I, I don't <laughs> yeah, with the giant knob, right? So When I played Pong, you actually had to go in the basement and play ping pong. <laughs> I mean, that's how old I am. So, uh, Alec, what's your iPad doing? Uh, pretty much exclusively the iRFR for uh, EQC light consoles. They, with The way that they do it is um, they have two apps in the App Store with the same name, which confuses people sometimes. One of them, and they both, either of them donates money to charity. So you buy buying a specific app you're deciding where your charity money goes to but it's a remote for pretty much everything you need remotely on a remotely on a etc console so if you're doing if you're a master electrician and you need to do a dimmer check or something like before a show you go through every light and make sure that it's working there's buttons for that you can like call up lights and stuff they're really 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 handy is that something you can tweak and build your own interfaces for it or is it it's just sort of one system that you're kind of it's it's just one system and as far as i can tell it doesn't communicate using like the udp strings or midi or the other like open protocols they have Mm -hmm. like some sort of special access for it coded into like into the console itself i might be wrong about that but that's as far as i can tell i think it's time to wire shark it and see what's going on what what is the app can you tell me the name so i, I r f r i say it uh i lowercase i uppercase r uppercase f uppercase r from etc and it's 49.99 and so that's going to be through wi-fi then is that true yes into the board yeah you hook up you hook a, a wireless access point or a wireless router up to the network connector on your on your console and it just works over that mm. set up the ip stuff in the app so for me this whole ipad thing has, has changed my entire universe i bought an ipad just because i have a lot of apple stock and i figure i have to just drink the kool-aid and figured i'd read a magazine on it or something for me touch osc the ipad and all the options in there has changed the way i even i set up my show I can come in and start getting doing a dimmer check and assign all my DMX channels in real time. I never have to have a lighting designer give me any any information about what dimmers are where. I can come to a venue and kind of do what I call light shopping. So I run through everything they have, and if I, I'll find stuff I never even asked for. Like there'll be some cool gobo somewhere, and like, oh, perfect. I used to use a Bluetooth keyboard to control my show with all these stickers on there covering over each letter. And every time I have to pair it, I, I can't even guess what one, two, three, four, you know, all the numbers are. I guess I can't see them because they're covered with stickers. But now I can build this custom touch OSC interface and have everything I could ever need right there at my fingertips and many different tabs and, and all that. And I, and uh, including um, focusing my smart max um, and getting all their position data in for each venue 
um, just grab the iPad, walk out on stage, instead of having to do it from the wings from a computer where I can't see where they're going. I can't uh, really, you know, I, I can literally stand in the audience where I would be making my entrance and then dial in that those moving lights right to my body. And something that would take me, you know, a half hour before running back and forth, I can do the whole thing in just a, in a few minutes now. The other thing that's amazing is an app called Screens. It's just basically a little remote desktop app that lets you see what's on your computer. So I can take, because QLab doesn't show you your geometric data of your surfaces uh, in, in their own app, but I can pull up the uh, video preferences and then get my surface up there and get that grid up. And then I can do all the adjustments on my projectors from front of house to see what's going to happen instead of being trapped at my computer backstage. A huge, huge time saver. That's great. And it runs the sounds on the show here. Disaster. He died. He, he died in a bizarre gardening accident. You screwed up. That was tragic, really. He exploded on stage. Fix it. Review you had on Shark Sandwich, which was merely a two-word review of just a shit sandwich. Welcome to Tales of Disaster. You screwed up. You got to fix it. What are you going to do? Tell us your stories. Send them in, and we're going to put them on the air. There's a fine line between stupid and, and clever. Like flash of green light. Okay, so my disaster of the week. I'm remotely teching a show right now that in New York, and I'm in California. So I'm on the phone. They're setting up. I'm designing projections, and I'm Skyping in to see what's going on on stage. And we're running cables. Everything's set up. Everything's happy. And the center projector, but not the two TVs. So we have two TVs and a projector. And the TVs decided not to function through the compo- the component input. So we ended up having to buy converter boxes to go from VGA to HDMI because the TVs would only work through the HDMI ports. Okay, so TVs are happy now. Everything's running. We have content playing. But every time we cross-fade from one queue to another, the TVs go green. Yeah. The black and white images it turns green and eventually we changed the power because we're running from a mac mini to a triple head splitting out to the three we switched the power to the triple head to run with the audio ups power and then we switched out the point in the chain where the triple head is located. So we had a short run, triple head, long run, and we went long run, triple head, short runs. And with the combination of the two, fixed the issue. Hmm. And now the show's running fine. And so far, I haven't received a phone call with anything going wrong. So I'm um, pretty happy. Was it a power issue or not enough video data getting in there? I believe it was the power, bad power going to the converter box from the VGA to HDMI and it wasn't converting the signal right because ultimately changing the power source fixed it. I've had a similar problem actually where some of my dimmer packs when plugged into certain outlets at a venue at school do not dim. They only go zero or 100 as soon as you give them an intensity that isn't zero. But if you just Mm -hmm. unplug them and put them into the the outlet next door that's on a different circuit, they work fine. Strange. 
I wonder if they're set to non-dim. No, but it's like, as soon as you unplug the the power, like, into the dimmer packs, like, from the wall before the dimmer oh. pack, that's what change, that's what makes it work. Oh, I gotcha. So, I don't think it's a... Oh, how weird. Right. I think it's, like, maybe some weird, like, the 60 hertz signal and the power isn't right or something. Yeah, where's Andy? Right? To, um, <laughs> right? Where's my electrical question? engineer? I'm sure he'll give us a full correction <laughs> next week. Maybe it's my ground lifts. Oh. I actually... Did you not get the bag I sent you? Oh. 40 of them that I had? <laughs> uh, I was taking a show recently, and most of the projectors started showing, um, like, horizontal scan lines across them. Like, the, the each line was being shuffled left and right a little bit. So it looked like it was, in, like, an interlace issue or something like that. Um, and, but then it was, there were all different kinds of projectors, but they're all doing the same thing. So I ended up swapping in two of the same brand of projectors, three projectors. The two that were the same, I swapped in different models, and the problem went away for all of them. Weird. They were also on different circuits, but they're all connected to the same triple head. So some of the projectors were messing up the configuration for the other ones through the triple head or something. Were they the same resolution? Yes. They're all running 720p. What I like to do is put in a um, like VGA to Cat5 converter, so all three of them, it sees the same signal in, no matter what's on the other end, and it kind of tricks it. Well, are all three sending the same video? Well, not the same video, but like triple head to three different converter boxes that convert the uh, signal to a cat5 cable so then you can run the cat5 cable uh, for 300 feet and then convert it back but then if one of the projectors happened to go down or something else it or if we're plugging directly into back of like a mac pro and when you unplug a monitor on a mac yeah. pro everything goes crazy so if everything has one of these converter boxes, as long as you don't lose power to the converter boxes, you could turn off the monitors, the screens, the projectors, and the computer always thinks huh. they're still plugged in. Basically, the, the triple head thinks that the, the converter box is the monitor itself. Very cool. What, right. Hmm. Or the yeah. Mac. What, oh, is yeah. that, uh, what is that little box? The ones I've used are VGA to cat5 extenders uh, and they're about 60 100 dollars so my my little disaster story is i'm working on a venue where i have to do midi show control they have just way too many units i can't even begin to go into dmx they got scrollers and movers everywhere i'm looking it's early on in my attempt to take over lighting boards the hog board i'm going to patch backwards through the uh, soundboard so we're going to go uh, midi out hardwired out of my computer so before i did wireless and this is the main reason i switched to wireless into the xlr patch bay to the sound pit where he goes where he's got the little uh tie line set up i have tie line adapters going from three from xlr to tie lines i have all these adapters with me and then from there run a hard cable xlr up throw it up into the lighting booth unfortunately this kid that was helping me that was brand new to this whole business I don't know how he got it in his mind. He decides instead of running it through the sound XLR patch, he decides to run it through the headset um, patch. Oh, no. So you both are smart enough to know that that's a bad idea. And what do you you think happened? You got 24 volts through something that wasn't supposed to. He murdered the hog. Oh. He fried the hog MIDI interface. How much does that board cost? 80 grand? And... (laughs) He's yeah. got a production show the next Easily. night, and nothing's working now because he's cooked the thing. Not my fault, right? But kind of my fault. 
Um, right. Well, he should no. know better. He I mean, should that's know just idiocy, right? So that show, we end up not doing MIDI show control for obvious reasons. A uh, human being had to actually call some light cues, which was, you know, always just repulsive to me. Human beings are repulsive. Oh, they just, I don't like them. I don't know why we even keep them around. I had this just epiphany of, well, I have a bunch of these MIDI interfaces with me, and I think the hog has a USB interface on the back. So I was able to go and take one of my USB MIDI interfaces and pl- hard plug it right in to the back of the, the board. Since the um, MIDI 1X1 tab E-MUs that I have don't require any driver software, and then use a second one from my computer, I was able to use the two of them together with a little coupler to connect between the in and the out of the two different units and replace the MIDI controller on the hog with an external so that worked. an external one. And it yeah. worked. And you just had to reassign it in the uh, settings there. And yeah, he started he freaked out. He hugged me in like that weird long hug thing when and it was gonna work. It was gonna be okay. <laughs> so I am amazed that I that know. Worked. I couldn't believe it. Me too. But I guess it's just a Windows computer, yep. right? So Yep, but uh and I ended up leaving giving him that uh, interface, Windows. hoping that you know, I wouldn't get a, a letter. That's why wireless is such a better plan because there's no other weirdness of going through these patch bays and all this all this shenanigans so another episode in the tank thanks for stopping by everybody i thought i'd take us out with a quote it has become appallingly obvious that our technology has exceeded our humanity albert einstein all right sounds cool. great good job you guys thanks so much and and uh have a good night the q is produced by active media group in association with the q show cast Music for The Cue was written and performed by Kyle Swafford. For more information and links to our blog, online tutorials, cast, and videos, please visit theqshow.com. You can contact us at info at theqshow.com. Now go out and make something, and you too can go to 11.